You're listening to Temporary Circumstances, and I'm your host, Alina Sowers, a licensed professional counselor in Ohio. And I'm your co-host, Cora Mayfield, also a licensed professional counselor in the state of Ohio. In this podcast, we're going to share some ideas and things that we've learned that aren't too often talked about in mental health, including some taboo topics, if you will, like death and grief, trauma and PTSD, addictions, and others. We will cover some of the worst things imaginable that happen to people around us every single day and how we can help them get through those difficult times. The opinions on this show are ours only and do not reflect any agency that we work for. So today we wanted to talk about some things you might expect when you go for mental health treatment, whether you go for counseling or you go to a psychologist or psychiatrist. We realize that people sometimes don't understand what that means. They don't know what to expect. And so we were hoping to take away some of that fear of going into mental health. Okay, so there are different types of facilities and providers that you can see when you go to get mental health treatment. Um, There's private practice. There is community-based agencies out there. There is also hospital care as well as things such as intensive outpatient programs and partial hospitalization programs. So we both work in private practice, so let's start with that one. Um, Private practice can be counselors, it can be social workers, it could be a psychologist, but in private practice, you're basically going for what you think of as therapy. Right. So counselors tend to do therapy the most out of all of those different types of providers. Um, psychologists can also be clinical psychologists. Sometimes they do therapy. Um, and social workers also do therapy at times as well. But Cora, do you want to speak a little more to the differences between them? Sure. So psychologists in general do a lot of assessment. They assess for major medical and mental health issues, um, and they'll do some therapy on some more major types of things. Social workers come from a systemic point of view. That means they like to work on the system and how um, the client might interact with the system, but they also do therapy and work on personal issues. Counselors mostly try to work on how you experience the world and how you can change your perspective or you can have agency to change things around you to make your life better and make changes in your life. Yeah. And then there's, we also have psychiatrists and nurse practitioners and both of them prescribe medication. And that's, that's about the scope of what they do. Yeah. I think that um, sometimes people see on TV, a psychiatrist, that does therapy and then prescribes medication. That used to be how things were, but that's not typically what you'll find anymore. Normally visiting the psychiatrist or nurse practitioner will be similar to visiting any other medical provider where you get you know, a couple of minutes of FaceTime, maybe 20 minutes or so to explain what's going on. They check your blood and your blood work and all of those kinds of things and then prescribe medication. But nowadays, all of these types of professionals work more as a team. So you might see a psychiatrist once every couple of months and then go to your counselor on a weekly or biweekly basis. Right, right. And and as Cora mentioned, we're both in private practice. So what we do is we typically do see our clients about once a week, um, typically for 45 minutes to an hour. Um, but of course, that depends on the client's needs as well. And in private practice, typically counselors have some flexibility in terms of like their schedule, um, sometimes the insurance that they take and things like that. What are some differences with um, like things like hospital stays? So 
hospital stays are different because they obviously you're staying in the hospital. Um, and this is considered a temporary option for most people. So if somebody were to go into crisis or if, um, the mental health needs, there's a safety issue or, or things get a little more serious, you might consider an inpatient program. In, inpatient, some of the things you'll find is a meeting with a counselor, meeting with a social worker or a case manager, doing group therapy, um, doing some expressive arts therapies, plus medication management. Yeah, and I think it's important to point out, like you said, Cora, that this is meant to be temporary. Again, you know, on TV, what we see is people who usually go into a psychiatric facility and they perhaps might live there for years. Um, it's really not intended to be that way, at least not anymore. So the goal is to get the clients or the patients out of that facility as soon as possible and get them linked with resources out in the community. Right. So after a hospital program, you might go into an intensive outpatient program or IOP is how you'll hear it referred to. So what does IOP mean? IOP is typically a program where you would go into counseling for several times a week, um, and you would probably be there for a couple of hours at a time. So typically, the program might be Monday, Wednesday, Friday from 9 a.m. until noon, and it usually involves some group therapy as well. Yeah. The other option coming out of the hospital is partial hospitalization. Partial hospitalization is more intense than IOP. Typically, you treat it like a job. You go home at night, but you come to therapy, you come to the hospital from about eight to five. Typically, with PHP instead of IOP, you'll have some medication management as well. Right, right. And then we have community-based agencies as well. And um, these agencies typically employ counselors and social workers. Um, but the difference is that they tend to go out in the community. Um, so they may go and visit kids at schools. They often do home visits. In fact, they may do therapy in the home. Sometimes they also take the clients out to do something else in the community. This is a good option for people who need more intensive help than a private practice can provide. If they need somebody to be on call that they could call and talk to any time of day or night, but they don't necessarily need um, hospitalization or to be in therapy that frequently. Um, Community-based mental health is a good option there. Another thing is for people who are in school, we're talking about mostly kids and teenagers here, there are school counselors. Now, school counselors have a big job. They do what we used to refer to as guidance counseling, talk about the future and going to college and things like that. But they're also a resource for kids who see their friends struggling or struggle in school and don't have another trusted adult to talk to. And in private practice and probably community-based as well, these people work as a team with the private counselor. So when you go into therapy, there are some things that counselors can and cannot do due to ethical and legal considerations and also personal preference. Every counselor is a little bit different, and I know that Alina and I both have some different boundaries as well. Right. And I think, you know, we differ in things like phone usage and things like that when clients request paperwork or phone calls. But also the agency that you work for plays a role in that as well, as we had briefly discussed just a little bit ago. Yeah. So with my agency, the primary contact to get to the counselor is to call the office and speak to reception. They'll take a message and we can call back. 
We don't typically use email to contact clients. There's absolutely no texting to, to back and forth between the counselor and the client. And we don't have anybody on call during off hours. And the agency where I work, we do text. Um, and most of us actually um, receive phone calls on our phones as well. But we do not have anyone on call either. So that would be more like a community-based agency um, or a higher level of care place. Or obviously 911. Right. And of course, if there is an emergency, you know, I'm a counselor. If, if there is an emergency or if you have something urgent that you truly need to discuss, I don't mind if you call me. And I will call you back as soon as possible. Now, sometimes that can take, you know, 24 to 48 hours, but I do try to return those calls as soon as possible. Something to keep in mind is that there are times when the counselor is not available. So if it is an emergency, you don't wait to hear back from your counselor before you take action. Call 911 if you need to call 911, call community-based mental health, call the police, whatever it is that you need in order to get help. Right. Absolutely. And that pertains to, you know, any calls made after hours. But also, there's a lot of times that we're just in session. And for that reason, we're not able to answer the phone. Right. Another boundary that I think is important is physical touch within the session. This is kind of a weird thing to talk about. But some counselors don't mind hugs. They don't mind sitting next to their um, client, holding hands when things are difficult. Other counselors don't want physical touch at all and don't feel comfortable with that. Right. And and that's going to differ, you know, and that's something you have to consider and also consider what it is that you want. Um, and I think it can be important to let your counselor know if there's something that you do prefer or not prefer so that we're aware of that as well. Yeah, I think it's always a good idea before you go in for the hug to ask somebody if they're comfortable with that. Right, absolutely. Because just, just as you have boundaries, we do as well. Another boundary that's going to be different for each counselor is how much of their personal life they're willing to share with clients. For me personally, I share very little. I know other counselors like to share more about the experiences they've had that are similar to their clients. If you're in a substance abuse setting, you might have a counselor who's experienced recovery and they may share more about that experience than in mental health therapy. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, there is an appropriate level of sharing. Um, some counselors are comfortable with that. Some counselors would prefer to share a little bit less. But there is such a thing as oversharing on the counselor's end as well. So sometimes you kind of have to keep an eye on that and make sure that you're getting what it is that you need out of your sessions. It can be really hard to come into a session and talk to a stranger that you know nothing about and you don't have any rapport with yet and lay out all of your life in front of them. And it's there's nothing wrong with asking questions about this person, but understand that if they don't want to share that, that it's not personal. They just want to make this about you, not them. Right, exactly. Asking questions and trying to get to know the counselor is part of taking part of your own therapy experience, working on building that therapeutic relationship that's so important for good therapy. Yes, yeah, so active participation is definitely important when it comes to counseling. Occasionally, we get clients who don't necessarily want to be there. Um, so these can be kids. Sometimes parents make their kids come in. They don't necessarily want to be there. Or maybe like a court-ordered client. But active participation is absolutely necessary for us to make any positive changes. 
So like we've mentioned in a previous podcast, this isn't like coming to the doctor where they give you medication and all you got to do is take it and you start feeling better. Therapy is you doing the work. All the therapist is doing is trying to help you see a different perspective and teaching some skills that you might be able to use, but it's up to you to use them. Right. Um, And of course, depending on your issue, too, there are times when it may be even unpleasant to come into counseling. But if you want a particular result, sometimes we have to go through the unpleasant things again in order to end up on the better side. Like we've mentioned in a previous podcast, I think one of the most important things to do to take part in your own therapy experience is to be honest with your therapist about what you want your goals to be. What is it you're trying to get out of coming to therapy? If that's somebody to vent to and somebody to see a different perspective out of a situation, then that's fine, but the therapist needs to know that. If it's that you want to really process your trauma, that's fine too. The therapist needs to know that. If you want coping skills to deal with anxiety, fine. But the therapist can't do anything until they know what you want to change. Right. And it's also going to take, you know, you have to take that role on as well. And if you say that you are coming in to treat childhood trauma, for example, but yet every week um, you're more so venting, then we're not actually helping you treat what it is that you initially came in for. So I think as Cora said, that's why it's important to be honest with yourself and with your counselor and really set those goals. And let's say you set the goal of processing trauma and you find yourself coming in to vent. That's okay, but just understand that the trauma is not going to be better through venting. And if that becomes a new part of what you want therapy for, which is fine because goals change as you go to therapy, just be open about that. Absolutely. Outside of therapy is also a time for you to continue working on those things that we talk about. So, you know, sometimes we as therapists do give some type of homework to our clients. That's not to say that we give you a sheet of paper to fill out every time. Um, I know for me personally, a lot of times it's just asking the client to think about something, maybe journal or take some notes on that and see if they can figure out some things for themselves Because we're not going to be there for you as counselors forever, right? This is a little bit of a strange profession to where our goal is actually to help you feel better so that you don't need to come back. Yeah, this is one of the few things where we're trying to get rid of clients. Right. (laughs) So for me personally, I do also send people home to work on things themselves. I really like to send home more of an expressive therapy, expressive arts therapy kind of homework. I really like drawings. I like musical things. I I like having them take some time to really look at a media that they enjoy. It starts becoming self-care as well as therapy. And that's also going to vary with a therapist. But if there's a particular type of homework that you do like or that you don't like, again, let us know so that we don't keep kind of pushing the wrong thing, the thing that you don't want. I'd say that most therapists want their clients to tell them what they like about therapy, things that aren't working for them, and anything that they want to change up at any point in your therapeutic journey. Absolutely. I agree. So there's a few minor things that can become major things that can harm the therapeutic relationship that a lot of people may not know about. Yeah. um, So we're talking about things like, you know, requesting paperwork from the counselor or canceling appointments, no-shows, phone calls, things like that. 
right? So let's start with the first one you mentioned, requesting paperwork. Therapists have to do paperwork. We do paperwork on every session that you have. We do paperwork on treatment plans, but sometimes we need to do paperwork for things like schools or um, disability or emotional support animal letters, things like that. That can take a long time. Right. Um, So that can take time. So if you do need something like that done, you know, please ask ahead of time and try to be respectful of the fact that it may take a couple days or maybe even weeks sometimes, um, if especially if the counselor has a large caseload. Right. We try to get them done as fast as possible. Therapists really do want to help you out. But one of the worst things is for a client to call in the morning and say they have paperwork that's due by the end of the day because it's nearly impossible for the therapist to do that. And we really want to. Right. Absolutely. So just if you work with us, we'll be able to help you better. Yeah. It, just give us notice and let us know what it is that you need. Um, and then we'll let you know if we need any information from you. Because that's the other part of this is that sometimes we need additional information from you or maybe other providers you have seen as well. Right. And similar thing for requesting a phone call back from the therapist. We try to get back to you as soon as we can, but we have typically appointments all day long. So requesting a callback within an hour is probably an unreasonable expectation. Right. And I think that also brings up things like canceling appointments or no-shows, you know, because we do tend to be booked and and clients get the slot that they want um, because we're trying to figure out something that works for them. And if you cancel late or if you no-show, that's a spot that someone else could have had, but now they can't have it because we didn't know that you weren't going to attend. Right. So when we set an appointment, we set that time specifically for you. That time is just for you. We've looked at our old notes, potentially researched something. So if you're not going to show up, just let us know. That's all you got to do. And it's fine. But we just need to know. Right. Absolutely. And these days, you know, a lot of places um, you can even cancel through like a client portal or even through a text reminder. So if you're uncomfortable even letting us know why, at least just give us a heads up that you will not be there um, so that someone else can have that spot or we can plan for something else during that time. Another thing is if you're going to be late to therapy, um, things happen, traffic happens. Let us know as much as you can. But there are some limitations in what we're able to do if somebody is late. For example, most insurance companies, um, or some of them, I should say, will not allow you to bill for less than a certain amount of time. So let's say less than 45 minutes, which means that if you're more than 15 minutes late, then I cannot bill for those services unless I go over time with you. And one would think, well, that's no big deal. Just go over time. However, then you're pushing into the next person's time, and that's disrespectful of them as well. We get that sometimes you have to be late. Just let us know again. And and again, different agencies have a different policy as well. My agency in particular, if you're more than 15 minutes late, unless there's an extenuating circumstance, we're probably not going to see you. Right. And I think that's the case for most private practices as well. But obviously, we do understand that emergencies happen and things happen. So as Cora said, you know, just keep us updated. Let us know. We will work with you as much as we can. While we're talking about 
not showing up or being late and insurance requirements, I just wanted to bring up that sometimes your insurance changes and you're not aware of it or not ready for that to happen. I know that in January, a lot of times people's insurance changes and you'll come to the office and all of a sudden you'll have a bigger copay or not be allowed to stay as long as you had before. We do our best to let people know as a courtesy before this happens, but ultimately it is your responsibility to know what your insurance covers, how much you're going to have to pay and whether there's going to be any changes. Right. And unfortunately, there's not much we can do about that. You know, if your insurance um, is making a change, that's just something we have to follow through as well. Right. There's actually contracts between you and your insurance company when you buy the policy and contracts that the agency itself has to sign in order to accept that insurance. And it really ties our hands. Yeah, absolutely. So one thing to keep in mind, too, is that a lot of agencies and providers also do have some fees that they charge if they complete additional paperwork on your behalf or if there is a late cancel or a no-show, late cancel being uh, within 24 hours of the appointment. So typically there is a fee because, as we mentioned, you know, unfortunately someone else cannot have that spot um, if we didn't know it was going to be available. I know that late cancel fees and no-show fees and paperwork fees aren't something that anybody really wants to pay. Nobody likes that. But unfortunately, it's part of what we have to deal with in mental health just to keep people accountable. Right. And, you know, just as we want to make sure that you're getting everything you need, um, we try hard, I think, for the most part, all of us do, we try hard to be respectful of your time. Um, And so we kind of ask for the same thing back when it comes to this. So basically my perspective is that I'm doing everything I can to respect your time, to respect my boss's time, and I need my clients to help me in that effort to respect everybody else's time. Absolutely. All right, and I think that about wraps it up for this one. Thanks for listening to Temporary Circumstances. Leave us a review wherever you found us and comment on anything you want to hear more about or have questions on.